Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. And then to 21. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham, that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. If I'm Sarah at the beginning of this story, I'm a pretty bitter, cynical woman, I think. Not a lot has come through for Sarah. This is probably not the life she envisioned for herself as a young woman back when she was called Sarai. 
Then she lived in the city of Ur in Samaria, right on the southern bank of the Euphrates River, the heartbeat of the world's first great civilization. Ur was a metropolis. It was the New York or London or Paris of the 19th century BC world. Sarai was married to Abram, a man of standing and wealth and prestige. Everything was perfect. But then Abram's father, Terah, decides to uproot the family and move them to Canaan. And for whatever reason, they head north instead of west in the direction of Canaan, and they travel along the Euphrates to the city of Haran, a journey of some 600 miles they live there in Haran for quite some time, almost a lifetime, in fact. And then Abram comes into the living room one night and says that God told him to continue south, to the land that I will show you, says God. They don't even know where they're going. God also tells them that he will make them into a great nation and will bless them, which is a little hard for Sarai to believe. After all, Abram is 75 years old by now, and she's no spring chicken herself. But off they go, traveling the 400 miles to Shechem, where God tells Abram to build an altar. And then they head 20 miles to Bethel, where Abram builds another altar, And they might have stayed here, only there was a famine in the land. And so once more, Abram packs everything and everyone up and heads another 225 miles south to Egypt, where things aren't quite so dire. Only things become decently dire for Sarai in Egypt, because Abram, anticipating that Pharaoh will want his beautiful wife as his own, instead of trying to protect Sarai, tells her to pretend to be Abram's sister so that he would not be killed when Pharaoh's officials come calling. When Sarai is indeed taken... Far from being killed, Abram gets presents in return for his wife in disguise. Great for Abram, less great for Sarai. Thankfully, God intervenes and inflicts diseases on Pharaoh and his household, who reprimands Abram for tricking him and sends Abram and Sarai on their way. I imagine the reunion between husband and wife was a little frosty. So back they head to Bethel, where they part ways with Lot, Abram's cousin, who heads to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, while Abram heads to Mamre, where God once again promises Abram that his offspring will be so numerous as to be uncountable. This does not happen, though. I mean, how could it happen? Abram and Sarai are geriatrics. Of course, they can't have a child. So Sarai tells Abram to sleep with her servant Hagar and thus produce an heir, to try and make God's promises come true. Only surprise, surprise, when Hagar finds out that she is pregnant, she starts resenting Sarai, which leads Sarai to act out against Hagar, which leads Hagar to run away into the desert until God goes after her and tells her to return, which she does, and she gives birth to Ishmael when Abram is 86 years old. 
11 years after God's initial promise. But at least now, there's a kid in the picture. Another 13 years go by. And then God shows up again to Abram and tells him to start calling himself Abraham and again promises that he is going to be the father of many nations, but not through Hagar and Ishmael, but through a son born to Sarai, who God says should now be called Sarah, and who is now 90 years old, which is ludicrous. So yeah, I imagine that at the time of our story, Sarah is probably a bit cynical about life and tired and maybe feels like a bit of a failure, maybe feels a bit like God has failed her. Hardly surprising then that when she overhears one of the three visitors, who is actually the Lord, when she overhears one of these visitors tell Abraham that he and Sarah are going to have a son, that Sarah snorts with laughter. A laugh of incredulity. A laugh colored by years of hardship. A laugh of a woman resigned to disappointment. A laugh of bitterness, perhaps even scoffing. <laughs> How can I have a child? How is this going to happen for me and Abraham now? We know what that laugh sounds like, don't we? We have heard it from our loved ones. We've heard it come from our own mouths. The laugh of disappointment, of doubt, of disbelief, of incredulity at God's promises. I will never leave or forsake you, God says. <laughs> then why haven't I heard your voice in so long? I will be your shield. Oh, okay, sure. Only right now my boss is accusing me of something I didn't do and I might lose my job. I will renew your youth like the eagles. That gets a chuckle from us after our second knee surgery. I will give you rest. <laughs> Great. Can you come babysit the kids one evening, God? I will cause justice to roll down like a never-failing stream. No, oh, okay, that's a good one. Allow me to point you to exhibit A, God, where you will see a people oppressed by racism and another people oppressed by classism and another people oppressed by sexism and a massive divide between the wealthy and the poor. Yes, we have heard God's promises. And when we're tired and disappointed and sick of waiting, when it seems that all evidence points to the contrary of those promises coming true, it is best, it's safest, really, to just laugh in resignation and get on with our days, taking care of business ourselves. If you're going to make a promise, God, you've got to come through on that promise. Let us know when you're feeling up to it.
Q chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. When the time was right, when God's time was right, Sarah bore a son, and they named him Isaac. They named him Laughter, because God had come through on his promise. And he did it in an unexpected, surprising, downright kind of ridiculous way that in the end left Sarah with all her cynicism and disappointment and despair, instead filled with a joyful and delighted laughter. Because God had worked a miracle. The scholar Walter Brueggemann says that there are basically three miracles in the whole of the Bible. There's creation out of nothing, there's justification by faith, and resurrection from the dead. All three of them, he says, are on display in the story of Abraham and Sarah. And in this story, we see clearly the miracle of creation out of nothing, a child from a barren womb. God worked a miracle in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, reminding them that their story is not up to them, isn't left to them. They don't have to carry the weight, the burden of God's promises and try and make them come true. Only wait in faith for God to make them laugh. Frederick Buechner, who I love, loves the story of Abraham and Sarah. He writes about them a lot. And it's hard to find the best lines that he writes about them. But one of my personal favorites is his opening line introducing Abraham in the book Peculiar Treasures, where he writes, if a schlemiel is a person who goes through life spilling soup on people, and a schlemazel is the one it keeps getting spilled on, then Abraham was a schlemazel. I think we could say the same about Sarah. But the the real reason that Buechner loves the story of Abraham and Sarah is because of its hilarity, its surprise factor, what it says about Abraham and Sarah's God, about our God. In the book Beyond Words, he writes this. A good joke is one that catches you by surprise, like God's, for instance. Who would have guessed that Israel of all nations would be the one God picked? Or Sarah would have Isaac at the age of 90, or the Messiah would turn up in a manger? The laugh in each case results from astonished delight at the sheer unexpectedness of the thing. Satan's jokes, he continues, on the other hand, you can usually spot a mile off. As soon as the serpent came slithering up to Adam and Eve, almost anybody could tell that the laugh was going to be on them. 
that a person as blameless, upright, and well-heeled as Job was bound to have the rug pulled out from under him before he was through. That Faust being Faust was sure to be conned out of his soul, and so on and so on. In the last analysis, though, the only one who gets much of a kick out of Satan's joke is Satan himself. With God's, however, even the most hardened cynics and bitterest pessimists have a hard time repressing an occasional smile. When God really gets going, even the morning stars burst into singing and all the sons of God shout for joy. There is no denying for Beekner for Abraham and Sarah, for us, that even in a world where God is in control, we have evil to contend with. Satan still seeks to wreak whatever havoc he can, create unrest and tension, lead us into bitterness and disappointment, convince us that God must have given up on us, so we should probably just give up on God. But that, says Beekner, is to be expected. That's a playbook we have read time and time again. That's old news. What's new, what's surprising, what's exciting, what's hopeful is the way God interrupts that despair with delight with laughter. Maybe not exactly when we want him to, and not always according to our plans or our hopes. But in God's perfect timing, in God's perfect manner, with a grin on his face and a twinkle in his eye. For is anything, says the visitor, who is in fact God, is anything too hard for the Lord. The Lord who created a world in which tulips know exactly the right moment to bloom. For the God who parted the Red Sea. The God who washed the spots off of the leper. Is anything too hard for the God who raised Lazarus from the dead, who made a shepherd boy to be king, who caused the apostles to speak languages not their own? Is it too hard for God to bring forth a child from a barren womb or a child from a virgin? Because many, many years after the visitors told Sarah that she would have a child, a visitor showed up to another woman, a much, much younger woman, and told her the same news. And in response to her question, this visitor answered that visitor's question. Nothing, he says, will be impossible with God. And Mary, filled with the Lord's blessings, sings a song of laughter. My soul magnifies the Lord. 
and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the loneliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Note the tense that Mary uses here. This is what God has done. And because we know what God has done, we live in hope for what he will do. And what God has done is lived out what is perhaps the greatest joke of all. God himself came and lived with his people and then died for his people. And in that moment when everything seemed lost, he pulled a fast one that must have sent the angels spinning and he rose from the dead, death defeated. This is the fulfillment of the very first promise that God made, that a child of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. And that child of Eve, the Son of God, is with us, filling our lives with unexpected and surprising delight, giving us the assurance and the strength to persevere in hope as we wait for the final fulfillment the greatest delight of all, the restoration of all things, the day of the Lord, when our God comes with laughter and is our joy. Would you pray with me? And so, Lord God, visit us with your laughter. Fill us with joy, with delight at the unexpected ways that you show up in our lives, fulfilling your promises. When it seems you are distant, give us faith. When it seems that the world is dark, give us a glimmer of light. When it seems all is lost, give us hope. Help us to trust in your promises of justice, of peace, of protection, of love. May we live in expectancy, trusting that the world is about to turn. We pray this in the name of the one who fulfilled the promise, Jesus Christ. Amen.